This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dr. Drew here, and this is just a reminder that the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care or medical evaluation. This is purely for entertainment and education. We hope you learn something, but see your doctor, get proper medical care. Hey, this is Dr. Drew, and you are listening to This Life with Bob Foy and Dr. Drew. Here we are. Thanks, everyone, for subscribing to this show. Support means a lot to us. We love seeing those ratings grow every week. So let us know you're out there by listening to each episode you may have downloaded. If you forgot about it, listening gives us the credit. That's what keeps things alive here. Tell a friend. We appreciate it. Listen to the show. We depend on your downloads to support this podcast. Of course, this is the This Life podcast with me, Bob Forrest. Uh, we get some business out of the way first. Uh, if you didn't know already, we have a YouTube channel. Go to YouTube slash Dr. Drew and see the live videos and podcasts there. Subscribe to get it when we go live. Also, like us on Facebook.com slash DRDREW or Facebook.com slash This Life Podcast. And uh, last week, we had uh, author Russell Brandon here. We did a little This Life Podcast. Then Live Talk LA show. It's Live Talk LA. Uh, that will be available for all to see at DrDrew.com. That was an interesting experience and, and uh, worthwhile. It's a good presentation. And do not forget to download the podcast and listen to them, as I said. And thanks. Go out before I'm done to our sponsors, Hydrolite. Go to that banner on doctor.com for details. If you click the banner there, you get a 30% discount off our vendors. Well, off those particular vendors on the Amazon site. Also, thanks goes out to Alliant.edu. It's a California School of Professional Psychology, a great program. I've been working alongside of them for years, and they've been supporting us. Support them at doctor.com. And uh, don't forget the other family of podcasts out there. Uh, support our sponsors so we can bring you more of these podcasts. Bobby, how are you? I'm good. Are you? I'm good. Sound like you got a little cold? The it's, it's not like it was. <laughs> yeah, I had that too. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was bad. Uh, so the rest of the world, not good, huh? The but rest you're of off the world, fa- I'm, just wa- I'm off Facebook. I'm off, good. I'm off the news. It's a relief don't for watch, me. Don't watch the news. Don't do Facebook. I realize three of my closest friends don't have Facebook accounts or social media accounts, and they don't watch the news. And they're happier. engaged and happier <laughs> in their life. And when I try to talk about all the you know stuff that were being propagandized, they just there's this look in their face like... Come on, Bob. Talk about something real. Wow. You know, so I'm modeling after them. So what got you off Facebook? Because by, I, by I, the way, <laughs> let me just the, say. The you, final straw? Hang on. You off Facebook makes my mental health better. <laughs> I I, I, it comes up on my feed all the time. So and I, I'm like, oh, Jesus. What's he getting? What's he doing all now? All I said was Bruce Springsteen is playing these concerts that the tickets are $6,000 each, right? Yeah. yeah. And he's singing about every man and the working people of the Rust Belt. Yeah. 
to people who were paying six thousand dollars a ticket. Do you know there, there I just was an try article? To throw think bombs. I call them. I like think bombs. People don't like think bombs anymore. They personally attack you back for throwing out a think bomb. Well, your think bomb sounds a little inflammatory. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I, so I want him to think emotionally too. <laughs> but but there was an article in the business section of the New York Times today about that issue and when pricing evokes outrage and how that can be controlled. He's pushed the envelope with me. Well, it's not him. It's the promoters and the sellers. I mean, it's only it's five percent of tickets that create these crazy prices. It turns out. And uh, that's all a market-driven something. I don't know. No, there's a system. Line up. Line up. And he has people from Jersey and working-class people that would line up all day to see him. He doesn't want to line them up. He wants them to go to StubHub. Why? And who makes all that money? I don't know. We have some people here that might know. Well, we'll get our guests Who makes all that money? All right. so So I noticed there was a thread about... 800 entries long in response to that. Yeah, all people your, went nuts all when I musician. attacked Bruce Springsteen. Oh, my God. And I just I just entered, oh, Bobby, what have you done? <laughs> dot, dot, dot. And there was 300 answers, you know, attacks on me. <laughs> and crazy. Uh, well, I'm glad you're off because yeah. those Bob would put up these big red, what are yeah, those banners. called? Yeah, banners. They're think bombs. That's oh, what dude. I call them. Dude, think bombs are... You know, Plato suggested that the, the the form of reality is some alternative to the reality itself. What what do you think? <laughs> That's a think bomb. Well, uh, anyways, I thought about the six thousand dollar tickets, but you know what happened was I didn't start my Saturday morning the way I usually do: Fox, MSNBC, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, CNN, and then think bombs through Facebook. I got up at six. The kids were still asleep. I thought. And Chrissy had a conference she had to go to all day. I had the kids at home. I thought, I'll just take the kids to Disneyland. I took a one-year-old and a seven-year-old to Disneyland yesterday by myself. Brave. It was amazing, except for going to the bathroom. Oh, yeah, that's difficult. <laughs> well, let's, let's introduce our guest with that. Uh, first of all, Aaron Foster. Aaron, go ahead. Psychologist. Hi. Uh, little psychologist. Yes, go ahead. Hi, I'm Dr. Aaron Foster. I'm a licensed marriage and mam- family therapist and a behavioral analyst and happy to be here and uh, aaron's going to help us with some of the ptsd yeah. stuff and bobby uh, bobby jacone i'm a 27 year fbi agent i retired um during my career i had numerous traumatic events yeah. uh, experienced and i ran a team of agents that uh, carried out special missions that i can explain that um subjected my team to traumatic events and so i had a support system within my team to uh, to handle that, and so trauma is the the issue of the hour. We of course on the heels of the Las Vegas murder. Uh, we have you and I haven't talked about the no, guy we that did the murdering. What are your well, I, I texted you. Can Benzos cause this kind of? Because I somehow there was a thing going around the internet that he had just been recently prescribed Benzos, yeah, valid. and that that sometimes makes people hostile. It doesn't make them shoot. If that's the case, then ten million people are walking time bombs. hundred million. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, but but it is interesting that Valium has figured into some of the mass murders out Have there. Have they really? Yeah, but it doesn't explain it. It does not explain it. This is, Aaron, help me out with this. This guy's a psychopath straight out. This guy is, what I keep saying to people is there is no description for how crazy he is. Right. It's It, it goes beyond the realm of what we see in typical patterns of someone who's mentally ill. Right. Bob, you did some profiling one time, did you not? Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's one of the things that people say, well, how could he be crazy and yet do all this planning? Well, those aren't mutually exclusive things. Right. And so, I mean, sometimes we see people that are very highly functioning who have 
of derangement syndrome or something like that. I mean, and this isn't crazy in the way that Bobby, you and I deal with crazy. It's not an Axis One crazy. No, we used this to is, call it. It's like a major psychiatric disturbance. This is, this is Ted, a, Ted Bundy crazy. This is so, Ted Bundy crazy. So here's the thing that's interesting. He he seemed to have no rhyme or reason to what his target was, which is why everybody keeps asking why why would he do this? Because he wanted to kill a lot of people at once. Right. And I played Lollapalooza in Chicago. There's trees all through that park. So even if he got that hotel room, that the vantage point that he wanted, the people would be blocked by the trees. That's why he bailed on that. that that's wasn't, my theory. Wasn't enough, wasn't there it? wasn't enough open space. Yeah. That, you know, I live. Bobby, is that fit for you? Well, yeah, and, and you know, I, I work with a lot of profilers, although I'm not a profile myself, but Jim Clemente and I work together yeah. almost every day. And, um, you know, what they say with a sniper is that they have a God complex because they take life indiscriminately from up high. It's not close to the close. It's not yeah. eye to eye. It's from on high. Um, the sniper looks down, and they don't see their victims. They just take their life. And so it's this God complex that normally we see in a sniper personality. Well, and what also comes along with that is uh, disassociation where these type of people do not associate human beings as human beings. Right, as fully fully formed emotional entities. Right. But but the fact is he would do these weird things and he probably and his dad was a psychopath and that is a heritable disorder, though usually it's not first degree relatives but it can be. And he probably inherited that from his dad. He probably my ex my bet is he was thinking about this since adolescence. Like this mm-hmm. was a fantasy he had. Mm-hmm. And he may even have eroticized it in some godforsaken way. Aaron saying Agreed. yes. I yeah. agree. And there, we also know that these people have a different structure in their brain. Yeah, the brain's altered. Yeah, it's not the same brain that the four of us, I hope, have here. He looks at me. <laughs> <laughs> no, mostly I was thinking about, I was thinking about our producer. <laughs> no, but, but one of the things that, that struck me about this thing of how could he do this he has money this america is so fascinated by money why do these pro football players complain they've got money why does this guy shoot people he has money are we that naive as a people you hear suicide all the time how could you kill yourself they're rich robin williams he's rich yeah he's yeah. got fame how could he kill what himself? is that and how do we change that in our society because we, we mistake hedonic happiness and eudaimonic happiness and i've, I've thought a lot about this we we you hedonic happiness is right like it sounds hedonism hedonistic it's just mm-hmm. pleasure heroin addicts mistake hedonic happiness for everything right yeah and so it just feels good and we if money is about hedonic happiness eudaimonic happiness which is something more about flourishing and something more sustained turns out is about contemplation about about raising your family and about being of service to other people. It's a much quieter kind of thing. There's a lot of sloppy overlaps with him, though. His brother claims he made us all rich. He took care of my mom. Yeah. He took care of me and my family. So he was doing those well, things they don't, when, it's, that seem on the surface to yeah. be caring and caring for the well-being of your family. Well, very... Psychopaths though, act as if, mm-hmm. for the most part. Mm-hmm. They'll do what they're supposed to do, but they don't really have any emotional investment in it. Well, that's that why everybody loved Ted Bundy mm-hmm. when he wasn't chopping off their heads or raping them. That's that. That's right. a claim. Yeah, that's the truth. Is he was charming. Mm-hmm. He was handsome. He was well spoken. So you have these, and we all want to figure out why, rather than this keeps happening. Well, right. in, in the heels of uh, Weinstein controversy or scandal. People are been a lot of conversation about you know bad people or sick people. How do you make that distinction? It, you can't just looking at the headlines. You have to put them in a room and study them for a long time. And 
I, I was I was telling uh, you and I treated somebody. I was I heard about it the other day. I'm, I'm not going to give any more details than that. But I hear he's doing fantastic. He was it was about eight years ago we treated him. Yeah. And uh, and at the time I thought oh, I think it's just a bad guy. I don't think this is just drug addiction. I think this is because he, he's certainly behaving like a bad guy, and that can be drug addiction. Turns out, good guy with bad drug addiction, mm-hmm. you, but you couldn't tell when he was right. in his disease. So it's hard to tell. But we, we want, I want to move off of the the uh, the guy for a second and talk more about trauma. And we have some people that were vic- were witnesses to all this. Uh, I've got John Anderson and his wife Moira. Am I getting that right, Moira? It's Moira. Yeah. Moira, how are you guys? Thanks for joining us. Wow. Good, thank you. And what what did you see? What happened? Um. Well, honey, do you want to start? Do you want me to? It's up to you. Uh, we were just, uh, there was my sister, myself, and two of our best friends that are also sisters. And we were kind of in the left middle of the concert, not in the very front area. And everyone's having a good time. And then we heard two pops. And my friend, Jane, who's usually afraid of everything, said, should I be nervous? And I kind of laughed at her, Jane, because I just thought some idiot had let off a firework. And John said, no, I believe that's fireworks. And, but one of the things that I was thinking to myself right away is, you know, just to give you a little background on me as I spent four years in the Marine Corps, um, I've been in combat. I was over in Lebanon in 1983 when the Marine barracks was blown up over there. So I'm a survivor of that as well. Oh and then I lived Jeez. a pretty rough life up in northern oh Wisconsin. God. So I've, I've seen quite a bit in my life. But I remember when Jane asked me that question, I thought to myself, no, it, it sounded like uh, it sounded literally like fireworks. But I remember thinking to myself, you know what? I'm not too sure, but we have all these people around us, and I don't want to start a panic. And, and these know? other, if, am I right, John? That that uh, the other reports up front were that those two shots landed, right? That's well, what got people going. I, yeah, I, I believe that they were not fireworks. I mean, I, I'm I believe that they were were definitely shots, but there was definitely a distinct difference between you know, the first shots that rang out. And actually, it, was, it wasn't just two shots. It was actually, to me, it sounded like a couple of bursts. Mm. Um, you know, and I, and I don't know if they landed or not. Um, you know, we weren't, you know, necessarily on that side. But there was definitely a distinct difference after that than when the heavy firing started. Mm. And I knew automatically once the heavy firing started, I, you know, um, quite frankly, I wasn't surprised by it, but I, but I knew what it was. And Bobby, my understanding is that he was shooting up into the air to sort of rain the bullets down. It was not a strafing. So well, he wasn't so much shooting in the air as he he had done the calculations that uh, the the drop the, the 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 round drops over a period of time. So he knew how high to aim, and and the further you are away from your target, obviously the higher you have to aim. So it wasn't as if he was randomly shooting up in the air, but he knew he knew his target. He zoned in on his target, and then he raised his sight the right amount of, of distance that he had already but weren't calculated. The, weren't the two shots he's referring to, weren't they at the tanks? He was trying to hit the, the gas tanks on the airport property. Well, really? we know that there were yeah. rounds over oh. there. I'm yeah. not sure. I don't know what sequence they came in, but they did find rounds over by the tanks. Yeah, the Jeez. fuel tanks for the airport. Oh, my God. Well, uh, guys, keep telling us your story. I'm sorry to interrupt. We will have lots of questions, I'm sure. So, <laughs> so um as soon as it seemed like simultaneously, Jason Aldean stopped singing, the shooting was going, and John just said, girls, let's move now. And um, I don't even know where my mind was. I actually had a, a beer in my hand, and I was so afraid of littering, I threw the liquid out and carried the cup. <laughs> and just like, you know, your mind's not thinking. Yeah. And, uh, my sister, I believe, was the first to drop down. And so we all followed her, except for John, who said, nope, back up again, get up again. 
and we started to run. Well, hold on now. Let, let's 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 just dissect that a little bit because I think I think one of the things I want people to get out of this podcast is how to survive in situations like that. So the you know John John Anderson, our, our guest instinct was just find the exit, which I keep hearing from survive from military people that that is your number one priority. Sure. And how- one of the first things, Doctor Drew, that I thought of is that when the fire when the heavy firing started. You know, to me, it sounded like they were literally right over there. And in my mind, I envisioned just a van being pulled up with several guys in it coming out. And there was just a lot of firing. And I'm thinking they're coming this way. Right. So we get in the opposite direction as fast as we can. And then just trying to keep the girls together. And, and so don't don't duck down. Just run. Well, I mean, this one uh, broke all the mold, right? So yeah. in the, especially in the most recent ones in Europe, we had hand-to-hand people on the ground entering the crowd themselves. And so I think that's the natural in- instinct is to think this is an attack, but they're getting out of a van or they're getting out of a coming car and us. they're coming towards us ground level, yeah. right? I don't think anybody realized that this was coming from the top. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the instinct is always going to be run back to the place where you came in. Yeah. So that's not always the right thing, right? So you have to kind of take a moment to assess what's going on. And, you know, you always hear the announcement in the plane, you know, look for your nearest exit. It may be behind you. So, I mean, I hate to say, like, always be paranoid. But when you get into an, a venue nowadays, take a look around. I'm always look, you know, paranoid. It may, I'm always paranoid. It may not be where you came in from. The nearest exit yeah. may be somewhere or else. Or that may be crowded with people. See, right. see the, I don't know why we keep forgetting things like this. Uh, my One of my good friends was on stage at the Bacchanal in Paris, mm-hmm. right? Since 9-11, I've always known wherever I go, how's the way out of here? And I'm going to tell you an interesting thing. I don't know if you've been out to Las Vegas or you go to music Mm -hmm. festivals. I was at Rock and Rio three or four years ago, and I remember looking up and looking at the Circus Circus and thinking, holy shit, if somebody really wanted to be up in there, they could just... Yeah, and I don't think most Americans want to think that. Right. Way. Well, no right. human would want to think that right. way. But we've gotten to that. That's the world we live in now. I mean, I go up an elevator. I start thinking about it every time. All right, Marie, you're now together. You're ducking, but you're standing. You're running. Go ahead. Uh, actually, one guy did start screaming. It's coming from Mandalay Bay. I see lights. I see lights. And we just started to run. Um, and God bless the security guard. Just a regular woman. Uh, saying, over here, over here, we've opened up a gate. And I believe we ran through the parking lot, which maybe was where he was trying to shoot at, because I, as far as I've heard that there was shooting in that parking lot, the whole time you're running, you feel like you're going to get shot in the back at any second. Uh. Right before we ran out of that gate, my sister panicked because some guy said, over here, there's steel behind these, and she ran into a porta potty area. So we all followed her, and I just saw dead ends everywhere. I thought we were running through that area. And John said, nope, up again, up again. And my sister... Um, I remember thinking at this point, she's getting real mad at him because she was like, leave us here. Let's get, let's stay here. And John just kept so calm. And we got out of the porta potty area. We ran through this parking lot area where the only time I actually turned around was my friend lost her shoe and she was able to grab it and hop and put it back on. It was a flip flop. Um, and that's the only time I turned around. We still ran, uh, with a herd of people screaming, the gunshot, it felt like it wouldn't stop. And it actually didn't. Um, But I can't explain my behavior, what happened after that. I felt my throat close and I didn't want to, I, I had been a single mom prior to marrying John. So I've got my husband with me and my sister, the other person that would raise my children had I passed. Mm. And so I just kept crying out loud to God, like, please, please let me get home to my kids. Yeah. Oh, my throat closed I stopped running and I'm not sure why I felt like someone was pushing me back and I couldn't walk anymore yeah or 
And my friend turned around and screamed, are you kidding me, Moira, run? I think she screamed, are you that out of shape? Which oh. I really, it, kind of, it kind of jolted me again. And I realized that I hadn't stopped. And I just started running again. And prop, maybe in my mind, I was thinking, if I run, I could get shot. If I stop, I could get shot. If I'm going to get shot, I'm going to get shot. Um, and some guy screamed and said, through here, through here. And he broke through a plexiglass door um, that was framed. We were... We ended up in a construction site that wasn't finished, but it was all enclosed. And I think it's office buildings, maybe for Hooters, um, because they were small uh, rooms in everything. It was very dark. And guys ran through and some guys grabbed something and powered through to the other door and broke through that door. But we stayed hiding. Um, John would go out and check the area. Some young blonde girl I'll never see again. I can't tell you what she looked like. Held on to me and sobbed, screaming. She'd lost her friends. She didn't know where they were. And I just kept telling her we're going to be okay. And um, another worker from somewhere came in and barely spoke English and was holding on to my sister. She didn't look more than 16, mm. crying. My sister was holding her. And um, we were going to go outside and go into Hooters, which we thought would be safe at the moment. And I asked the young blonde girl, did she want to come with us? And she said no. And the last thing I saw of her was crying, like crouching down in this building and covering herself with something from the construction. And I know she's alive because the shooting stopped. Probably. I text my mom. There's been a shooting. We're alive. I love you. Everything's uh, we're okay. We're an abandoned building. And my mom said, can you see the news? I don't see anything. And I said, they're still shooting mom in the text. And that was, I believe at 10 15. And John, do you think that, that the bullets could have penetrated the the thing you were in at that point? Again, I remember in your mind, I know you're thinking somebody's moving towards us. So you're, yeah. you're, so you're, well, you're imagining well, somebody will break in, but go ahead. No, in the building that we found. No, no, I wasn't, I wasn't worried about that because I had, once we got, once I got the girls into the building and got them calmed down a little bit, I actually ran into Hooters, um, grabbed some water out of the cooler, gave them some water and, and told them they needed to start drinking right away. Cause I knew that they'd kind of go into emotional shock. I could see the look on their face. And, uh, so I got them some water, ran outside and I listened for the firing, you know, and I knew it wasn't getting any closer. So I knew that, you know, in my mind, right at that moment, I thought to myself, okay, they're not getting any closer. We're, we're okay where we're at. Um, yeah, the, the rounds went, we were safe in the building where we were at. I mean, you know, safe definitely from the point where the shooter was shooting. But, you know, if it, if, if there would have been a lot more people involved, then, then who knows what's going to happen. Right. I kept thinking, okay, once we get calm, which was John was saying, when the firing stops, that's maybe for them to like, okay, we'll start at them again. So the whole time I felt like we were under attack, like, uh, they were taking over the city. I don't know what was going on, Yeah, but Going out, we went to a point where John went and checked tutors and he said, look, there's a lot of people in there. Maybe we should go into there. My brother had gotten on my, uh, my mom called my brother because she couldn't find anything, one of my brothers. And he started looking at maybe an active live feed for the police department or something on the internet. And so he was texting my sister and I, a possible bomb in the Luxor parking lot, possible this. Um, and our friends were in the Luxor. They couldn't get to us because two of our friends, husband and wife had gone for an ice cream in the middle and they were going to come back for Jason Aldean and our other two friends, the husbands of the two sisters, they had gone to uh, gamble and um, my sister's husband had to go home early for work. Wow. So, uh, and we had another couple that left early for work. So um, we couldn't get back to our hotel room. So John told us, let's go into Hooters. As we started to break through, like the door was all damaged. So you had to like kind of go sideways and we went to go through that door 
And everyone started screaming and running out of Hooters. And John looked at one guy and said, what's happening? And this man had such fear in his eyes that John just went, okay. And so we ran back into our abandoned building where we stayed again for probably a half hour, maybe uh-huh. 45 minutes, somewhere around there. And then he went back out and checked Hooters again. And now people were back in there. So we went in and we sat in Hooters and there was just like, everyone looked like zombie. There was a guy with blood down his back, dried blood. There was a guy that was inconsolable. And the minute he would stop crying, it would start up again, but like a screaming cry. And of course we don't know what he's seen, who he's lost. Then we were in the bar of Hooters, Hooters, I believe. And we were sitting in the middle and these girls came in and sat against a wall. And I said, would you guys like to sit over here? Or we sat with some girl named Beth. She'd lost everybody in her party, but she was getting a hold of them on a phone. She just didn't know where to find them. Um, and these girls were too scared. And they said, well, is there a booth? And there was a booth. So I said, there's a booth over in that corner because I felt like a sitting duck where we were sitting. And then the news was going and somewhere in the restaurant in Hooters, you just heard some lady screaming bloody murder. And I don't know what, who she's lost, where she's ran in. I think what the, what the, um, I think people were running in with gunshot wounds at all these different hotels. So everyone thought there was a shooter, maybe outside the Luxor or a shooter or wherever our friends were gambling, the husbands in the Luxor and, um, they, they got put in lockdown. They were able to get to their room. Some guy ran in and screamed, everyone's been shot. And their, their wives had text. Uh, one of the wives had lost the phone, but the other sister texted the boys and said, we're safe. And they kind of like chuckled like, okay, you know, they didn't know what was going on. And then all of a sudden there was, security guards everywhere saying we're in lockdown my other uh my best friend and her husband were up in their room and just kind of getting it together to come back for jason aldean they'd gone to look for ice cream and they rested afterwards and thought okay we'll go back for jason aldean and then she said to her husband jerry if that's the air conditioning you've got to fix that before we leave i'm not gonna be able to sleep tonight it was the rat it was the shooting wow so he went to go look at the air conditioning i text her there's been a shooting and she knew I was serious because all my words were misspelled when I was trying to say abandoned building. I don't normally go for typos, but I was like, I was shaking. I couldn't find my letters. Um, so, Maura, Ma- I'm going to stop you because I'm going to stop you be- because you're you're. I don't want you to so thoroughly revivify this thing that you're going to traumatize yourself mm-hmm. just telling us the story. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to ask you to take a couple deep breaths. I I I, I see what it has done to you. I I can feel it. Uh, and uh, it, it, it is an interesting thing. So Moira's had two major experiences with this. One is she had that freeze response in the middle of the parking lot, which is when people – that's when your brain's upper limits of its capacity to tolerate just shatters and you freeze. And she had exactly the thought that goes along with that, which is I'm going to die. If I run forward, I'm going to die. If I stop, I'm going to die. So your body just goes freeze which is what, when there's no escape, that's what the body does, is freezes. Unfortunately, it saturates your brain with all kinds of chemicals that today can be brought back to life when you tell the story. So I want to kind of like take some, take a little breather here so we don't don't have you, you know, not sleeping tonight telling the story. On the other hand, telling the story can be useful. So Aaron, how do we navigate that from where? Well, first I would say we want to come from a place of, of grounding because the amount of the intensity and the amount of different emotions that are going to come up from you for you need to be identified and worked through from a place of grounding. So my, my recommendation is you spend a lot of time taking deep breaths, feeling the breath in your body and getting yourself grounded and centered as the emotion and the trauma comes up. And the reason I say this is because when you're, 
talking about the story and what Dr. Drew picked up on is your sense memory is kicking in, and this is what happens with trauma. Your, your body be, your body remembers it more than your brain, and the body memory is what is the revivification, which your autonomic nervous system just kicks back on again. You're, you're there. And, and, exactly. Yeah. When this happens, you are literally reliving the trauma. So in That's, order to move through it, you have to start from a place of grounding before you think about and talk about the experience again. Yeah, and and that you're you're fine. I mean, this is not this is not uh, you. It's not Omar. You're in danger of having PTSD, or or you're you're not. You know, you, you should be worried about yourself. It's just I, I just see you this this system turning on, and I, I want to make sure that we halt. No, nope. because I feel like my brain. Um, I'm, I'm a hairdresser, so I've told the story over and over again. I've got God, I've got John, I've got my friends. We've all gotten together and talked since then and been together. But it's my body that responds. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's the body memory. Coldness Mm -hmm. that runs through my veins all the time. Yeah. So my brain is better than my body does. Yeah, that's right. And and, and PTSD is about an autonomic memory. It's embedded in your body. And your body is living the experience all the time, particularly when you bring it up. And then you're in danger of not being able to differentiate. Are you remembering it or is it happening? Yeah. And that's why you want to stop and, and ground yourself and identify what is it you're feeling in and, order to work through it. And I'm okay. I'm here with John. I'm here with these guys. Uh, my, I am whole. And that was a horrible experience. And, and uh, I'm good. Is, uh, Bobby, is that kind of stuff you guys do? Yeah. I mean, this is um, – there's a couple of – there's many different types of traumas. But this is, this is one where – and none of us have this experience until it happens – is when everything, every bit of safety in your life has been stripped away, mm-hmm. and the threat is coming from 360 degrees, and you don't know where it's. This is, you know, people say that I was in a battle, in a battle zone. This is a battle zone. This is battle zone trauma. This is where you, we put 19 year old kids in the middle of a desert somewhere, and 360 degrees around them, there's no safety, and and we're not used to that in our lives. We're used to safety, having always safety, living in our country, especially where you know you have police and you have fire, and you always we we have, we're cradled with this this safety around us. But when that's stripped away. Even for a few seconds, a few minutes, like it was to all these people, that's that's the same as those battlefield soldiers experience when when you have no safety and death can come from 360 degrees around you and you don't know if it's about to come. And so that's the traumatic experience. This is very very similar to yeah. battlefield trauma. And in, in your group, you said you had you had trauma therapies available for your guys. We had to. And yeah. when my I ran the under, the dive team for the FBI and we did a lot of child recoveries. Um, whenever we recovered uh, human remains or yeah. And we did a lot of uh, child victims. Um, whenever we came back from a job like that, be it you know anywhere around the world, we would we'd have a EAP, a nuclear assistance program, where we'd have a counselor come in, and every diver that was on my team had to spend an hour with the counselor at our off- our dive offsite. Um, it w- there was no stigma attached. Everybody had to go in for at least an hour, and then if you wanted to arrange for follow up, you could do it. So within that hour, away from that, because in, in a male dominated field, there's still some ribbing that takes place and some stigma there there is still some i hate to say it um i never tolerated it but there's still some so we would have a mandatory meetings with a counselor whenever we came back from a a body recovery particularly a child body recovery you know um what's jonathan's last name lead singer of corn jonathan uh davis jonathan davis he was a a mortician for a while and he had to do some child preps and stuff and it traumatized him he Mm -hmm. developed severe ptsd and things Mm -hmm. and he and underwent emdr ultimately and but it's a it crazy. I've been through EMDR. Story. Yeah, mm-hmm. a great story for him. Um, should somebody like Moira, who's uh, revivifying this thing and her body's sort of charged up for it, should, and either you feel EMDR or something like that appropriate for her, or we just sort of wait and see. 
EMDR, absolutely. It's even this soon. I mean, don't we? we th- she may just it may just kind of. Well, okay, good point. I would say what we what you would like to focus on is what we call discharging from from the cellular level, and a really skilled clinician can do that through talk therapy. Sometimes. Um, mindfulness techniques. If it gets to the point... And, and by the way, sleeping right, eating right, exercising, mm-hmm. all that good stuff. Taking care of yourself, self-care, really important. Um, if it gets to the point where you have the symptoms, not sleeping, nightmares, reliving it, um, hypervigilance, EMDR let's say, let's is say, very helpful. Let's say two weeks from now or three weeks from now, then, then that's the time to begin thinking about it. Oh, EMDR. So describe. What is EMDR? E- I, do you guys know what it is? I'm just going to ask Maria and John if they know what it is. Do you guys know? No, I'm not familiar this? with it. Oh, so you should know about this. So go ahead. Okay. Uh, it's eye, eye movement desensitization therapy. Yes. Essentially. And, and you have to go to someone who is trained in it. It's a very specific technique where you are you – are, I haven't done this in so long. Essentially, you're, you're, it's kind of like kind of a relative of hypnosis, but you watch a light that's moving typically, and people do a bunch of prep work for you. Then you do some work while, while you're watching this light. And when you're moving your eyes with certain frequency at a certain motion, it tends to give you access to parts of your brain that right. you might not normally have access to. And it, it helps you sort of regulate and rewire and process all this stuff in a way that you, your brain doesn't want to do naturally. But a common thing in America is just to get benzos for the anxiety. Yes. <laughs> That's the next I mean, chapter. you guys are talking about the ideal. I wonder what they've been recommending. Okay. Have you, have you guys been consulted with anybody? Uh, well, I, um, I have a friend that teaches TRE. Have you heard of that? It's tra- trauma retention release exercises. And okay. Huh. Yeah. Kind of, I've heard of that kind of thing. That, 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 that's good. So it's like really small body movements. I've, take, I've done it before. Um, and my sister and myself and a couple of our girlfriends that were there want to take the class with her. It's just she'll go to our house. And it's really small body movements. And at the end, your body tremors out any trauma. She started it when her son was um, on the spectrum for autism, I believe. And she's always used it. So she was going to come over to my house because I believe that my brain is healing way quicker than my body. Well, don't, uh, but don't, don't, don't disconnect the two so much. I, the, the, the reason, no, the reason your I, body is off and running is because there's a part of your brain that's not processing course. with the rest. Of course. Well, it, it does, it, it does something to your brain. The yeah. TRE yeah. against the eye but, movement either. I'm absolutely all for bettering myself and helping myself. I don't want to be feeling this way. I was so excited that I, Got my niece balloons the other day. She passed her driver's license test, and the balloon popped, and I didn't get sent into next week. With- <laughs> there you go. That's good. good. That's good. That's progress. I waved at them, and they were. Uh, they text me. I'm so so sorry. I did that to you, and I'm like, I felt normal. <laughs> I feel like I'm slowly but surely coming back. Um, and I really feel like when I talk about it, I feel better. I don't talk about it in the evening, and I haven't turned on the news twice. I've seen something and. And it really shook me. So I just thought, poor John has a lot of reality TV to watch with me. But <laughs> <laughs> taking that, myself out of it. That's traumatic. I, just I feel even this Teen mom. <laughs> oh, please. I just had to watch 12, 12 episodes because there's a reunion coming up next weekend. <laughs> oh, I, really, yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> oh. There you go. Well, and Everybody the, loves teen mom. The laughter is really important part of your, your healing process, too. Yes, yes, don't underestimate sure. finding ways to laugh together because that is also a way of discharging some of the trauma. There's another interesting part of the story that Moira just told us, which is the, and John was reemphasizing it, which is the how 
poorly defined it was. And and when people take aim at the Las Vegas Police Department, I want I want to <laughs> I want to go up in a building and shoot myself <laughs> because because it's like hey they figured that out in no time right. and they and they the whole while we're getting reports as as she heard on the police feeder possible bombs possible right. shooter but and they, mm-hmm. they had to check sure. every one of those things out and secure every one of those locations right it's unbelievable what they sure. were able to do you agree with me oh yeah I've been defending them since the beginning yeah. and I was on a TV show the other night saying that I mean the, the anchor person really wanted me to to go in the direction of blaming the police and that was his agenda and I wouldn't do it I wouldn't go there. That's Crazy. And I thought that a lot of lives were saved. If you look at the amount of weapons and ammunition that were in that room that he didn't get to use, I think he thought he had a lot more time, and he was going to have a lot more time to throw a lot more rounds into that crowd, and, and he didn't. And then there are all these crazy conspiracy theories jumping up that he had mm-hmm. more people in the room with them. It, it's really just because it seems so... I heard one yesterday where the security guard that got shot was actually one of the shooters because oh. there were two shooting platforms, shot... The, the guy in the room and then hey, shot Susan, himself. Hey, Susan, Susan, here's your great, here's your one of your conspiracy theories. Yesterday I heard this, the theory that the security guard that was initially shot was actually in the room with him shooting. That's why there were two platforms. Right. And then he killed Paddock and then he shot himself superficially to make himself look yeah. like the hero. Which is, Bobby's telling you, that's insane. Right. That's completely it's been complete, debunked. That's completely it's, insane. But, but that was one that was floating around <laughs> yeah. since about Thursday. All of them Friday. are insane. Yeah. All the conspiracy, all the is multiple shooters, all but, insane. But really what the focus of the media for since the next day is why right and why when he's got money and why this do you guys care why honestly um you know i i have my opinions about all of this and what i think happened but i've said it many times to many people at the end of the day it really doesn't matter the whole thing is evil that's that's the end of there it there you it's go evil. yeah and here's the thing I, I would like to say this a long time ago um my father was in world war ii he was uh, 17 years old when he was oh. on a destroyer in the south pacific God. and he uh, went was in the battle of lady gulf and the battle of philippine sea so he's seen a lot and i had asked him after you know i was probably maybe 10 or 11 years old because i always had an appreciation for the military and i said dad did you ever stay in contact with your friends did you ever think about all that stuff he said you know what i didn't have time he said i, I had to get back to work you know mm-hmm. and and i and and for me that's how it was after i got out of the marine corps you know, I had been through a lot uh, in being in combat and the bombing of Beirut. And uh, I have a lot of friends that I served with that struggle with PTSD and all of that. But for myself, all I remember is I got to get to work. And so when you talk about things that, you know, that are a good release for it, you know, living up in northern Wisconsin, it's a, it's a tough life. It's hard physical work. And, you know, I've, I've worked hard physically all my life. And uh, for myself, I think that was really a big benefactor. It, that's interesting, right? So you were you were taking aim at just Americans just going back to well, work. You're supposed to go back to work on Monday morning yeah. after being up at three o'clock in the morning, going through that. But, but that was but, the question. But what John is saying is that hard, hard work sets you up maybe to tolerate some of these things and just go back to it, or at least move on. Well, move on, yeah, correct, exactly. Because that's that's the thing is that. You know, after, you know, I think back to my experiences in the Marine Corps and especially being over there in Lebanon, I, I really can't even really remember all that much. I don't think about it. I don't focus up, you know, I've, right now I've got a business to run that I'm running here from California, trying to set up an office out here. I'm newly married. I've got, you know, two great stepkids and a great wife and a whole new family. And great wife. <laughs> <laughs> We're here to tell you. The things I got to think about. You know, I'd like to go back to those police officers because I'm with you guys. They were so brave. And when I was running out of gate, they were sliding across this gate with their guns drawn, going into the fire that we were running out of. 
with zero information. We got out of there and we're in an abandoned building and they were still shooting. So we were the like, not the first to get out, but we were in that crowd that got the heck out of there. Those cops ran in with zero knowledge and just their guns drawn to go save people. The security that was probably uh, getting paid, who knows, minimum wage, you know, with their little vests on, were, guard- were guiding us where to go. And this girl was not running. She was, okay, everyone, come this way, taking her job so seriously. They were so, my sister keeps saying, one bad person and 20,000 good people. Yeah, There were heroes everywhere, everywhere. And because it was a country concert, there was tourniquets everywhere because everyone had a cowboy belt on. Oh, my God. <laughs> or a bandana. They said they yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, firemen, two firemen went in with flak jackets to go attend to the wounded and things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just, incredible. Yeah. Incredible. There was people just incredible people all around us and no one cared about religion size uh, culture color everyone was trying to help each other and that's really truly what i think we're that's who we are that guy is not going to represent me for the rest of my life he's not going to steal my joy forever i'm going to go back into the places that are crowded i mean even in church i get that feeling of i could get shot right now and i thought you know what i could i can get shot anywhere but i could have gotten shot prior to this and i didn't so i'm just gonna as much as i know that I have to do things to help myself that positive self-talk about there were heroes everywhere and I'm going to keep on in this world until I'm allowed to not, you know, yeah. I get to have it. I keep thinking that. And those, See, I, I'm going to bet, I'm going to bet Mara is not going to have much PTSD. That's going to be my <laughs> bet. <laughs> that's going to be my bet. Uh, and, and also it's interesting what John did too, is that that's what your brain is supposed to do with traumatic experiences. The problem is most of us, our bodies stay behind, like more Mara's example of, I know that would be my body. My body would stay behind mm-hmm. in the trauma, for sure. Right. And, yeah, I, and then there's no doubt in my mind about that. Uh, but, but uh, you know, guys like John can just, can compartmentalize it and sure. kind of move on. Sure. Well, what I'm hearing, and I'm wondering if you are as well, is... She's quoting at Bobby. It's <laughs> at Bobby. Um, constructive versus destructive is what I always talk about with my patients who have trauma. And what I'm hearing from both of you is you are doing something constructive with what's right. happening and what you're feeling, and that's what's moving you through this. Yep. Yeah. Right. I, I recently uh, spoke to one of our, my wife and I good friends who was at the concert also. My wife wanted to, uh, you know, and I, me to talk to her because of my experiences. And I told her what to expect. I said, expect some sleepless nights, expect some restlessness, expect some loss of focus. Things, and and things we call like that, that, that's called the AST, acute stress reaction, you know, right. which is normal. Everybody right. I told her, expect yes. that. Yeah. I said, don't, don't worry about it. Let yeah. it come, deal with it, you know, see someone, yeah. deal with it. If you um, want, if it's uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I said, but don't focus on it. Live your life. Do your daily routine. Get back to whatever you do. If you go to yoga every Wednesday night, go to yoga. Don't don't stop doing those things um, because right, that right. will be that will lead to a destructive pattern. Don't old- don't drink more. You know, drink more alcohol. Don't do anything. Just get back to your life and your routine as quickly as you can. How come um, we don't we we need that's the English term is keep calm and carry on. Right. right exactly. So maybe we need to adopt some philosophy like that that comes from the therapeutic community and the, and the criminal justice community to say, here's the proper way to f- walk through this. How, how? Because we really don't as a country. But by- I, I guarantee you, this is an exception. I guarantee you, hundreds of these people who are traumatized were prescribed benzos so I know, they could sleep. I know. So they could, mm-hmm. you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? I get you. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, that and kind we of need to speak up and say, this is the way we need to treat these events. 
Right. And rather than have no. this splintering and everybody's right, the political correctness of everybody's right. If you don't want to go to yoga and you want to take benzos, that's okay. Mm. And you know what I'm saying? Right. And and there should be a recommendation. Now, what I, about going back to work? Bob had an issue with the people going back to work the next day. Should you should you take some? T- was that a mistake? To I mean, I think there is. I think there's something to be said for taking a breath. Yeah, stepping back and because, like you said, the acute stage of yeah. this recovery. Well, is the longer gonna, is gonna story happen. of it is, they went back to work because they thought they were tough, like with John's ability to compartmentalize, and they weren't, and they fell apart through the week. Then they felt weak. Right. For needing help and reaching out to this place that right. an acquaintance of ours I works see. at. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm saying we need the authorities or the, 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 the professionals in this country to say, this is how you properly deal with mm-hmm. trauma. Right. This is how you properly deal with having been at, a, at a, an event like this. I saw very little of that. In the, I saw uh, Dr. Judy, uh, a friend of ours. Judy Ho. Uh, yeah, Judy Ho. I yeah. saw her speaking about it on, on a it, show. And, it's impossible. But, but it's you, not covered enough. No, they don't no. care. No, they just <laughs> want to know why. Right. It, it's yeah. this endless cycle of showing, you know, sh- showing the audio again and hearing the bullets rain and, and seeing. And, and here's, you know, how the, here's how the reporting goes. How do you feel? Right. Well, right. How do you think I felt? Right. If they put a thing in Moira's, a microphone in Moira's face, how do you think Moira felt right, right then? Right. She was convinced she was going to die. She had, she had the only caretakers for her children with her that could. Also, I mean, it's just yes. Well, I here's feel, an interesting feel, thing. I saw my friend a couple a week after the Paris thing happened. Right, I'm. One, he said I'm one of the first people that didn't ask him what it was like. Right, because everywhere you go, we yeah. have this voyeuristic TMZ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, know. like she said, she's retold and revivified this story mm-hmm. at everywhere she's gone because we as a, as a people want to revivify and yeah. that and that that kind of way that we socially interact i'll tell you what i have to wrap things up i see my producer we? here over well we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna keep this team together we're gonna do another show on this topic so everyone i want everybody to, to, to download this show again next week you can find bob at rehab bob forest on twitter uh, you can download the podcast be sure to listen to us and get so we get those ratings also um mike catherwood and i have a show at the ice house in pasadena on october 25th oh my God. So anybody wants to show up for that a weekend that, that that's would help a weekend. us yeah. No, That's it's Wednesday. Time. No, no, it's a Wednesday. Oh, really? No, it's a Wednesday night. Uh, you can get tickets. Uh, we managed to sell out the last show, so you could help us out with this one. Uh, find us here on Facebook, Twitter, at Dr. Drew, at This Life Podcast, at First Lady of Love, my great producer and wife. Uh, go to drcom slash contact and send us all your questions and your ideas. And uh, also look around and check out at drcom the other podcast, the Adam and Dr. Drew Show with Corolla, the uh, – the Weekly Infusion with Dr. Spaz, Dr. Bruce Heishober, and a new show with Ami Horowitz called The Howard Vortex. We, we look at the – we interview whack packers and whack pack adjacent trying to dismantle all that. I want to send my sincerest gratitude to Moira and John for sharing this. Uh, I, the last thing I wanted to do was be a part of the you know reliving of all this for you guys, but I, I hope what, some of the, what we had to say was helpful. And yeah. uh, I, which certainly what you guys had to say is going to help other people and sort of setting up this conversation. So we really appreciate it. Well, lo- love is never a bad thing. <laughs> and uh, you're now, uh, let me let me do a little sidebar quickly. Uh, Moira, are you John Henney's sister? Is that what I heard? Yeah, so it was his two sisters that were there, my sister and myself. Yeah. Oh, my God. I saw John talking about it. By the way, John vaporized. He lost like 300 pounds. What happened to him? Yeah, he's, yeah he did. <laughs> he's turning a little soft with the shooting. He told my mom he's going to have to start being friendlier to everybody. And she's like, don't. <laughs> like, John, can't do that much. But uh, John has been actually incredible. He was asleep. My other brother was texting us. So when John woke up, he just kept reaching out to me. 
And that's not normally John's nature. And um, he showed up with baked bread and um, he texted me and was like, what kind of wine do you want? I'm like, John, no wine. All in this body is going to make me sick. But um, he showed up with baked bread and I started to cry when I hugged him. But actually, John choked up and just shook John's hand and said, thanks for saving my sisters. Wow. Wow, it's a big deal. Moments like that's what I'm here for. My brothers, the love that they've shared with us, our mom. Just I don't know. I I think my PTSD is going to fade out just for just for the the family that I'm a part of and the friends that I have. And there's a girl at my work that's been she saw a lot more than us. And she just she took the week off. My sister and I went right back to work, but she did not. And she's having a rough time. And she shortened her days. And um. You know, our boss at our salon is not charging rent. She refuses all rent from all of us girls for four, wow. four weeks for us to be able to take any time off that we want and work if we want. And um, if someone takes our clients, she's not charging them. Wow. So we've just been really blessed. Well, congratulations. We pre- and and I, I agree. I think you're going to be fine. And it is other people that give us what we need, nourish us to be able to get through stuff like this. So anything you guys want to put out there, your Twitter handles or anything? Are you guys just good as is? I don't know what Twitter is. All right, good. Yeah, yeah God bad. bless you, John. See, that's how he got through the PTSD. Yeah. Yeah, I got to get to work. I got things to do. Yeah, I hear you on that. All right, guys. Well, thank you to you two. Thank you to our panel. And uh, we will see you all next time. Well, one of the great parts about working in recovery is seeing former patients successfully move on and I've had patients that have come up to me years later and uh, shake my hand and say, you know, sometimes people are kicked out of treatment. And uh, many of these folks move on to become mental health professionals themselves. And, of course, the field of psychology is vast. The need for competent practitioners is huge. If you're considering this rewarding career, I urge you to consider the California School of Professional Psychology at Alliant University. Now, I've known them for a long time at Alliant University. I've spoken at their past events. It was founded in 1969. It's boasts an alumni network of nearly 50,000 people worldwide. And Alliant has fostered many of today's mental health pioneers, authors, and advocates. CSPP at Alliant University hosts both on-ground and online programs in business psychology, marriage and family therapy, clinical counseling. They also offer APA-accredited doctoral programs in clinical psychology that can allow for specialization in child psychology, clinical forensic psychology, and integrated psychology. And the faculty is crazy. It's made up of, of leaders and historical figures like Abraham Maslow, Carl Rogers, Victor Frankl, some of the true fathers of modern psychology. For more information, and I've worked alongside of these students as well, by the way, in the clinical setting as well as having lectured at the institution. So for more on the California School of Professional Psychology, CSPP, at Alliant, click the Alliant banner on our website or visit Alliant, A-L-L-I-A-N-T dot E-D-U, Alliant dot E-D-U. Remember, you can find all these podcasts at drdrew.com. The Dr. Drew podcast, the This Life podcast, and the Adam and Drew podcast, which is available five days a week. Find them all on iTunes and rate us five stars. Subscribe and get it first. And if you're really happy, click on the Amazon banner at drdrew.com to help support the show. We'll thank you for it. If you join the email list via drdrew.com slash contact, we'll send you a weekly infusion newsletter with Dr. Drew's News. We're so grateful when you get in touch. We read all your emails and we'll bring you the subject matter you want to hear about. You live.